0: yo this episode of cheat codes a Sickle cell podcast was made possible by global blood therapeutics and is intended for educational and informational purposes only visit gbt.com to learn more
1: hello warriors and welcome to another episode of cheat codes with me dr z and me dr c dr c we've got a really cool episode today I'm excited. Yeah, me too, man. We're going to be talking to um, a really special guest, actually, a friend, an advocate extraordinaire, Cassandra Trimnell.
2: Great interview.
1: She's um, one of my favorite people, honestly, and I'm so happy that we were able to um, find some time in her schedule to make it happen. We're going to have an awesome word of the day, and then we're going to finish up again with you breaking down, um, you know, an important paper for us.
2: Sounds good. Let's get to it. All right, Dr. Z. So now we're on to my favorite segment where uh, you tell me what's going on in the social media world.
1: You know, we have um, a lot going on, actually. We are recording actually on June 19th. It's Juneteenth.
2: It's an important day for so many reasons. So It's a
1: hugely important day. Not the um, least
2: of which, happy birthday, Dr. Shurney. That's
1: that's a big one.
2: That's world big Sickle one. Cell Day. Absolutely. And Juneteenth.
1: Juneteenth is hitting a little bit differently you know, these days, we are obviously, we've had two really big things happen to the black community in the last four or five months. You know, obviously we had a COVID-19 pandemic that we were all unsure of in how it's going to hit our patients with sickle cell disease. And we got really caught up in that. And how do we prepare for this? How do we make sure we have enough blood products? What happens when we run out of blood products? How do we manage COVID-19 and sickle cell disease? Thankfully. How do we
2: take care of patients when we can't see them in the clinic? Exactly. Or the yeah. So many, so many things that affect. Right.
1: And, and thankfully our sickle cell disease community did a lot better than we were expecting.
2: In so many ways. I mean, yeah. I, I think we were pleasantly surprised that the patients didn't get as sick from COVID as we were worried about. But I, I was also super impressed with you and uh, Mirac and Tom Ademkowitz and I mean really the provider community rallied put together in a very quick uh, time period registry studies groups that got together and talked about and really shared knowledge on everything and I I think that's a platform that you know we'll be able to use for every challenge that that hits sickle cell and I was really impressed with the community
1: yeah it's so true the provider community came together really quickly you know one thing that I, I I see that um has been creeping up on, you know, discussion forums, especially now in the context of George Floyd and the Black Lives Matters movement and the renewed sort of energy around advocacy for uh, racial equality. COVID-19 did something that uh, reinforced the concept of a racial gap in healthcare. You know, Detroit being the blackest city in America, with 84.3% of our population being Black, in a city that is still recovering from the 67 riots, a city that is split to the point of almost, I would say, radical suburbanization. A city that you grew up in, right? In the city. Yeah. You grew up in Detroit.
2: Yeah. I mean, really, when that was going on in quite a pace, I mean, when when uh, I was born in 1975, and I lived in Detroit until uh, 1982 on the west side. And during that time, so many people moved out of the city and it really went from being a majority white city to being a majority black city and now 85% 85% of the population is is black yeah. in the city that used to have 2 million people and used to have thriving business a lot of that moved to the suburbs yeah. i mean the the metro area is still 5 million people but absolutely um a lot of that's moved out to the suburbs and there there's a lot of challenges with that i mean one is people commute but the other thing is then you have this divided government and haves and have-nots and not everybody has the same you know same goals and same it's mission true. and we're not all Part of one community, and you have right. an infighting between Oakland County and Detroit. Yeah.
1: And, um, so, I mean, I think that we have had all of the reasons to have a community here in Detroit that has become—I want to say—abandoned, because that's really the only word I have for it. It's—it's it's an abandoned community. You know, redlining and discriminatory policies and discouraging a fair housing market and, and this, all this stuff, right? It all compounded. We have a Detroit public health system that has count them five staff members. Okay. Five. We have more marijuana dispensaries in the district of the city than we do pharmacies and grocery stores combined. Okay. We are set up in a uniquely terrible position for any type of health problem. Forget a pandemic, I mean, sickle cell disease, of course, we've known that from day one, right? We are, we're struggling with sickle cell disease, but we knew this Black community is really going to struggle with this pandemic because of the way that this city is able to support them. So what we saw then is that the zip codes with the most Black populations had the highest amount of positivity for COVID-19 in Detroit and the most amount of deaths. And what we see then in a state that has 15% of a black population, that 42% of the deaths that happened from COVID-19 in our state were black. It disproportionately affected the African-American population. And many people say, yeah, you know what, the African-American population probably has uh, a higher incidence of comorbid conditions, right? They're higher risk. And that sort of the same problem, I would say, right? So we have the same problem driving that too. Absolutely. Right? So yes, we have higher amounts of hypertension and diabetes in the African American population in Detroit, surely, because you can't find a grocery store that sells you the food that, you know, will keep you healthy, right? When your only options are fast food restaurants and convenience stores, it's hard to stay healthy, right? When It's easier to get, you know, a Big Mac than it is a salad. Uh, You're going to struggle, right? So we have a food desert. That's a huge contributor to our problem. And then we have like, it's like a ridiculous number, like 50,000 homes with no running water right now because of water shutoffs, right? We have no public transportation. In in a city that's completely surrounded by fresh water. Exactly, exactly. And, and, And we have two hospital systems that are serving this entire community that are struggling as well, you know, because we are a back of the bus city, right? And, and, and that has really led to some really unfortunate outcomes in this community. So there's been buzz on social media about the sort of disproportionate effect of COVID-19 on the black community. And rightfully so, I mean, the, the, that, that should be buzzing. That should be a problem. That should be a concern. It should be an issue uh, because it's true. They were disproportionately affected. And the reasons for that are exactly the same reasons that we struggle with with sickle cell disease.
2: Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, we, we talk about health disparities and disparities in outcomes. And there are so many forces that drive that, but you know, some of it is poverty, some of it is lack of infrastructure, some of it's lack of access to healthcare, some of it is lack of access to quality food, like you said, at affordable prices. Um, some of it is, is crime, some of it is uh, failing education infrastructure. And I, I think you can't get to the heart and solve the health disparities without solving a lot of those other issues or addressing them in ways that can help the, for sure the health disparities
1: absolutely absolutely so uh you know i kind of wanted to talk about that i thought it was appropriate to talk about that on Juneteenth you know we have a lot of work to do and, and for us we see this new sort of renewed energy around black lives matter but I, I always tell people that for sickle cell providers that's always been the case right even even before any of this got mainstream media attention we've been fighting for our patients disproportionately who are black better treatment in hospitals equal access to appropriate care in emergency rooms we've been fighting for resources in our clinic to to help the community so this is really just another day on the job for us it's you know
2: really unfortunate that we are where we are it's nice to see a lot of enthusiasm and, and people in you know solidarity with you know improving lives for African American population and and our sickle cell patients. But we need to go from putting a Facebook logo up to action, mm-hmm. and we need a, a defined action plan about how we can address some of these things. Because um, you know you see too many times where something becomes a national issue everybody's excited about it, everybody puts up straw men to burn down, but nobody's dealing with the actual problem. And then the next fashion comes along and people are on to that. So I, I think we really need to leverage this time to address some things. And I think sickle cell, you know, I'm a little biased here, but I think sickle cell is a great place to start. You know, can we get better access to care for people with sickle cell? That can mean You know, there are new therapies. They need to be covered. There are places where people have a hard time finding sickle cell doctors. We need to address those things. Um, We need funding for sickle cell research.
1: Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. uh, Uh, You know, the amazing thing to me is the parallels of sickle cell disease and the current state of the African-American community are immense. There's so many parallels. The unpredictable nature of sickle cell disease and the silent way that it diminishes the quality of life in individuals with the disease the unpredictable nature of how pain comes and when pain comes it not being believed often those parallels with the african american communities struggle with achieving equality are almost it's like the same battle in just a different way i think that you're right as long as we keep this as an issue that we can address in the hospital we're doing a really good uh, you know, I think that we are at least pushing the needle forward in a way that we can, as physicians, to to help in a small way, at the and, very least. And I,
2: I think we all need to do that. But uh, you know, a few years ago, there was this ice bucket challenge for ALS, and it was silly. You know, people were dumping buckets of ice water on themselves, um, but it really raised awareness around. ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, and they raised $115 million. And that money goes into research that finds new therapies for people with ALS. I would love to see something like that Same. around sickle cell. Same. You know, Dr. Sherney tried to do this high five for sickle cell. Yeah. Let's make that thing go viral. Right. I mean, that's, yeah. that's something tangible we can do that can really make a difference. So. For sure.
1: For sure. All right. Well, that's what I've got for you, Dr. Callahan today.
2: Thanks, Dr. Z.
1: All right, Dr. C, I've got a word of the day for you, man. And um, this one is a little different. It's not a medical word per se. It's um, more of something that addresses the nuances of sickle cell disease, the other parts of sickle cell disease that we aren't addressing biologically necessarily in our clinic. This is a word that allows for a community to rally behind a rare disease okay. and drive outcomes forward. I like it. Are you getting to where are you, are you got getting got to you. the same place? I think I got you. Yeah, so our word of the day is advocacy.
2: Advocacy. All right. This is really important, and it fits really well with our guest today, who is an outstanding advocate. So advocacy comes from the word advocate, and an advocate is uh, somebody who provides support for or, or sort of stands up for people who need it. And so advocacy is something we should all do. Doctors should be involved in advocacy. Patients need to be involved in advocacy. Um, and there are a lot of ways you can do that. So some of that is, you know, things that aim to influence decisions politically, economically, in social institutions, on a personal level. And so a lot of it is around education, media, getting into social media right. and explaining things to people Um, explaining issues, and so some of it might be meeting with Congress. Um, We have advocacy days. Dr. Sherney takes us up to Lansing, and we have sickle cell patients and doctors and nurses, and we go talk to our Congress people, and I think when advocacy is done well, there should be a tangible thing you're trying to achieve. You should have an ask. You should be able to go in and say, what we need is this bill to be passed, or you should say, we want you know, everybody to know this about sickle cell disease. And we're fortunate in sickle cell that we have a great group of advocates. Um, but I, I think there is an unlimited amount of work to do. You know, we need to, We need everybody's voice. We need to access media. We need to lobby our Congress people. We need to advocate for people living with sickle cell disease.
1: Yeah, it's so true. We've learned, I think, that the only way that we're going to make this work is by working together. Absolutely.
2: And I think being organized. So we need advocacy groups, Um, We need to fundraise around those groups. They need to do things like hire lobbyists. Lobbyists get a bad name and special interests, but we're a special interest and we need to advocate for ourselves. The other side is advocating for themselves. So we need to play that game too. We need to have expert decision makers in the right places to make rules. I mean, we, we were talking today about Michigan Medicaid just made some new rules about how our patients can access new drugs and it's not exactly how we would have wanted it so We're gonna we are need to, to advocate our yeah we need to get in there and and talk to the people and and have you know really experts who can explain why this is needed when we need to have a strategy to pinpoint our advocacy where we need it to achieve the best outcomes we can and that requires everybody we need legislators we need doctors we need patients we need caregivers We need meetings in our state capitals and our national capitals. Influencers. Influencers. We need fundraising. So keep stalking those basketball players to help us with advocacy, Dr.
1: Z. You know it, man. As long as uh, the CDC has 1.2 million followers and LeBron James has 70 million, I'm going to keep stalking them because we need those influencers to amplify our footprint. All right, Dr. Callahan, I appreciate you breaking down a word for us today. And we're on to our next segment. Sounds good. Let's get to it.
2: Cheat Codes is brought to you today by Global Blood Therapeutics. GBT is a biopharmaceutical company committed to discovering, developing, and delivering life-changing treatments that provide hope to underserved patient communities, including sickle cell disease. GBT is grounded by a mission driven culture and built with a team of experienced and passionate people committed to making a difference in the communities it serves. Cheat Codes is grateful to GBT for supporting today's episode and for serving the sickle cell community.
1: All right, Warriors, we are here with somebody that needs no introduction, honestly, to the Warrior community. I was just telling her, actually, just before before we started this segment that I'm the president of her fan club, I think. Sandra Trimnell is just doing such huge things for this sickle cell community in such a global way that I honestly, I just wanted to find a way to fit myself into your schedule. And that's why we have you on this podcast is I just needed, you know, 30 minutes of your time just to kick the ball back and forth. How are you doing casts?
0: I'm doing good, thank you so much for having me and just let me say the love goes both ways, so thank you, thank you, thank you for having me. Happy to be here
1: I, know it's an absolute, doing I, know it's I mean it's an absolute <laughs> pleasure. The consistency and the uh, the optimism that you sort of give the sickle cell community is so amazing. Your sessions with Dr. Q the little infographics. It's just, it's so amazing the way that you have cemented yourself into this advocacy space.
0: Well, you're honestly too kind. It's definitely uh, for selfish reasons. <laughs> well, I wouldn't say that. I think now you're
1: being too harsh on yourself.
0: I, I wanted to say I get so much out of it, you know, myself, um, you know, just learning about Cell, learning about the community. I love what I do. So, you know, I, I hope it helps people, but um, it, it also helps me. So, I'm going to say that
2: <laughs> it definitely helps people. So thank you so much, and thanks for
1: joining us today.
0: Not a problem.
1: So, so Cass, like I was telling you earlier, I mean, this episode is it's you. It's this is um, who is Cassandra Trimnell for providers, honestly, and for the ones who are under a rock, maybe tell us your story. Who, who are you? Where did you? Where did this? How did this all come about? How did you become who you are today? What What's the trajectory been like?
0: I don't know if you knew this, but I'm a fellow Midwesterner, born and raised in Iowa of all places fun fact I like to share with people I was the first baby diagnosed with sickle cell disease through the Iowa newborn screening program back That's in 1987 amazing. wow yeah and,
2: and still the only or are there others
0: oh no no yeah there's definitely others yeah, um it seems like that you know just growing up with sickle cell uh, in Iowa in that couldn't Iowa. have been easy yeah, yeah. <laughs> But surprisingly, what people don't know about Iowa is they had a really great program for sickle cell. They had a sickle cell comprehensive center. Um, So I was in good hands. Um, I got really great care living in Iowa, just growing up with sickle cell.
1: When, When was that a thing for you? When were you like, you know what? I'm Cassandra Trimnell, and I have sickle cell disease. When did you realize that that's you? That's who you are?
0: Probably later in life than I'd like to admit. I wish I could say I was, you know, grew up as an, an advocate. You know, just growing up, I didn't like telling people I have sickle cell disease, not because of what they thought, but because of how they acted after I told them. I always say, you know, people became like my mother. They would be like, oh, did you drink your water? Did you take your medicine? Or people would treat me like an eggshell or, you know, like just something super fragile. And I didn't like that. So I just saved myself the trouble and I didn't tell anybody that I had sickle cell disease. My mom, on the other hand, like was, you know, loud about it. And <laughs> <laughs> She's like, you need to tell people and this and that. And I don't think I got to the point where, I was public about living with sickle cell disease until college actually, which like I said, it, it's to me it's, it's late in life, but yeah. in college, I was like, I was a bio major for a short while. And I, I started looking into sickle cell disease. And of course we only got that a sentence or two about sickle cell disease and I felt shortchanged. And so I started looking more into it and I found an online community, of people living with sickle cell disease like myself. And that's not the, the type of support that I had in Iowa. This is pre-social media and whatnot. So yeah, it, it wasn't until later on in life.
1: Okay. And then, I mean, once, once it became a thing for you, you really hit the ground running. So you were in Iowa for quite some time. When did you end up in California? What's the story there? How did that happen?
0: Weather is, is such a big trigger. Um, and it was a, such a big trigger for me. So those of you who know the Midwest, very hot summers, very cold winters. And so I would be sick constantly, probably in the hospital at some point in my life on a monthly basis. In 2002, I think when I was around 15, I moved to California. After that, it was a complete 180. I never got sick. And I think there's a point, even in my college career, I never got sick. And I kind of was like, oh, I don't have sickle cell anymore. Like I thought I outgrew it. I was like, well, what? I don't, (laughs) and I didn't identify myself with having sickle cell. Yeah. Um, other than, you know, just for, you know, like, you know, necessary purposes. But like, I was like, what? So what? And then that kind of came to a screeching halt when I found out that I uh, got uh, a vascular necrosis in my, my right hip. And so I was like, okay, well, sickle cell has a way of reminding you, hey, I'm here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> don't forget <Yeah>. about me. <laughs> <Yeah>. So, <laughs> but though, uh-huh. you know, just that, that span was, was really great because I did everything I ever wanted to do you know growing up you know under a protective mother we and when I say we I also have a, a little sister with sickle cell as well is recess indoors not being able to interact with peers and a whole bunch of, of limitations so when I got to that point in my life I was like oh I'm just gonna do what everybody else is doing and mm-hmm. I did and I have fun there there you go. There
1: you go. <laughs> tell us about the creation of your organization. T- tell us a little bit about how it came about, what was the thought process, What was your goal?
0: Discussing kind of just like my, my college experience. Like I said, I was a bio major and I didn't know too much about I knew about sickle cell, but I didn't know the science behind sickle cell. Mm-hmm. So I went into biology thinking I would learn more. And I didn't. And because I didn't, I started doing my own research online. And there were just little facts I, I never knew. And I'm like, if I don't know, I don't know how many people or who else doesn't know. And so Instagram at the time was the huge platform. And so I would just take these little pieces of information and share it on Instagram. And that's kind of where I found that that online sickle cell community. I guess I'm not alone in this. And yeah. people started to react to my post. We quickly found that there's a knowledge gap within the sickle cell community. So after that, we kind of hit the ground running and we're still running. <laughs>
1: yeah, absolutely you yeah. are. Tell the sickle cell <laughs> provider who may be listening to this about your viewership. How many sickle cell people have you connected with around the world?
0: So on Sickle Cell 101's platform, we have about, last time I checked, was 42,000 followers on combined platforms and in 115 countries, so like countries I've never even heard of. There's someone living with sickle cell disease there. You know, we went into Sickle Cell 101 really focused on the U.S patient population, but quickly abandoned that just because, you know, with social media, it knows no borders and that information transcends borders. And so we really tried to shift that to a more of a global perspective and try and offer information that everybody utilized for, you know, their, their knowledge base that makes sense.
1: Absolutely. That type of reach is just so phenomenal. And and it probably took such hard and consistent effort on your part. Tell me this, out of the things that Sickle Cell 101 has done, what are you most proud of?
0: Wow, that's kind of hard to choose. But what I really love and appreciate is our Ask Dr. Q platform, just because I know, not everybody has access to a hematologist and sickle cell is a complex disorder. And if you have a hematologist, you might not get along with them. Or if you have questions, it's been a really great resource. And a little bit about uh, Dr. Keith Carollo. He's phenomenal. He lives and breathes sickle cell Um, (laughs) a lot like you. Um, (laughs) And he is like just this wealth of knowledge and he's able to provide and, and be kind of everybody's doctor. You know, obviously, for educational purposes, we always have to say, you know, consult your own physician. But, sure. you know, people are getting um, answers to their I guess they're intricate sickle cell related questions. And I I really love that we're able to provide that through Dr. Keith Carollo.
1: Yeah, Um, it's amazing. Such a great segment. Honestly, I I enjoy those segments a lot too. Thank you. You you guys have such a charming back and forth.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I don't know if uh, many people know our backstory, but he was actually my pediatrician. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so we, we like, you know, uh, growing up with him being my hematologist, we've had this bond that has only grown throughout the years and, uh, you know, we're, we're friends in real life and, you know, I text him whenever I, I have like, you know, I have a question mm-hmm. or, you know, a problem and yeah, he's just a, a really great guy. He's been treating people with sickle cell. For you know twenty years, and actually, under him, I got to stay in the pediatric program a lot longer than I should have you know he's one of those doctors who right. <laughs> you know he wants to he so wants like to me. keep every patient and he actually loves. Each and every one of his patients. So I didn't yeah. transition
1: until a lot later. <laughs> yeah, we we get in trouble for that all the time. Here <laughs> they're like, yeah, "You need to send these I patients bet. to the adult side." <laughs> it's hard, right? When you build such an amazing bond with like your patient, your doctor, and then like you feel like you're abandoning them. Honestly,
2: especially when there is yeah. no adult
1: side. Yeah, and that's the thing. There's no adult providers. So, like, where do you want me to transition? And, like, California might have a better situation, but, like, in Michigan, we really don't have adult providers.
0: So, Mm. it's like when I transition
1: my patient, I'm transitioning them to nothing. That's so difficult. It's so challenging. It's so challenging. Anyways, we digress. So, Dr. Q was your pediatrician. (laughs) Um, and that explains why you guys have such good chemistry. Yes,
0: he he is a great friend of the family, and you know he's just an all around wonderful person.
1: That's awesome. So, of course, you guys have an amazing podcast as well—the the sickle cell podcast—and and a lot of really good information on that podcast too. You have recent episodes looking at COVID nineteen. You had sickle cell trait related episodes, mental health related episodes, managing pain, and then. You have these really nice expert pieces on your website. Cass, you're just doing it all. You're doing everything. How do you find all the time in your day to make this
0: happen? Oh, thank you. It's really a labor of love, you know? Like I don't feel like I've worked one day, honestly, because <laughs> it's just I I it's just so fulfilling to me. And so, you know, like staying up late at night is no problem when you love doing what you're doing.
1: I love that. That's that's so cool. You know, I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I'm really curious to know what you're up to for World Sickle Cell Day that's coming up around the corner. What do you have planned for people? What do you have planned for providers? Oh,
0: man. Yeah. So we're, we're of course, going to be doing, you know, uh, sharing facts about, you know, sickle cell from a global perspective Uh, we hope to have a podcast out on that day too so look out for that and we really just want you know just during this time it's it's dense it's heavy so we want to bring some light and fun to world sickles all day so we have a few things hopefully we can host through social media to kind of celebrate i think it was Tosin who coined it our second birthday wow Wow.
1: <laughs> very, very cool. Once again, I'm just so happy that you could join us for a little bit to tell us a little more about Sickle Cell 101 and inspire us by sort of all of this amazing effort that you've put into this wonderful, wonderful organization.
0: Thank you so, so very much for, for having me and for all the work you're doing. Like, I don't know if your viewers know how wonderful you are and it's just, it's great to be surrounded and supported by individuals like yourself. So thank you for everything you're doing as well.
1: All right, Cass. Well, we won't take too much of your time. We'll let you get to your weekend and um, we'll, we'll catch up soon. Okay.
0: All right. Thank you so much.
2: Thanks again to our episode sponsor, Global Blood Therapeutics. Visit GBT.com to learn more about GBT's commitment to advancing the treatment and care of people affected by
1: sickle cell disease. All right, Warriors, on to our next segment where Dr. Callahan breaks down um, some important research that's going on. And, and, and today we're going to be um, exploring a part of sickle cell disease and the pathophysiology of sickle cell disease that we, I don't think have, we haven't touched on this actually up until this point, is platelets and how platelets contribute to sickle cell disease. So why don't you tell us a little bit about platelets and then talk to us about this important research from our friend, Matt Heaney at Boston Children's.
2: Yeah. So platelets are little cells in our blood that help clot the blood. And and we used to think of them as just that. They sort of go in and they flatten out and plug the hole. But they're actually just the most fascinating little uh, cells. They do so many things and they're really involved in the pathophysiology of sickle cells. So the pathophysiology is sort of how things go wrong, how how the disease comes about. So be, because platelets um, stick and block where blood loss is, they can also stick to red blood cells and stick to blood vessels when you don't want to. And we've known for a long time that they're involved in how vasoocclusion happens, how you get blockage of, of blood vessels and they attach to red blood cells and they attach to white blood cells and they attach to the blood vessel cells. And so for a very long time, people have thought, well, maybe if we could target these little guys, we could change outcomes in sickle cell. And these platelets—they're also very much involved in why people have heart attacks and why people have strokes. And so there's a, been a ton of research on platelets and, and their role in those diseases, and, and lots of therapies that you know maybe a lot of a lot of you are on. So things like aspirin can uh, affect platelets, and they found many different ways that platelets can be turned on, and made many different drugs that target those. And so I'm going to talk today about a study that was called the Dove Study. And yeah, it was from our friend, Matt Heaney, who, uh, you know, not everybody at Harvard is as smart as you would expect them to be, but Matt is just as smart as you would expect. Totally them to be. agree. I mean, totally uh, agree. He's a, a, like a,
1: he's a great guy.
2: Yeah. He's an asset to Harvard. Absolutely. I'm saying something. So, and so, a Canadian.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Which makes him even more special. Sorry. Yeah. No, he's a very, <laughs>
2: very nice guy too. In a, Canadian way, um, so I'm going to talk today about a study. He was the lead author on, and this was a large um, international study with many very important uh, sickle cell centers involved and,
1: and investigators. And so international, I'm looking at this list of authors. There's a lot of countries represented there.
2: Absolutely, and I I think that's important, right? Because you can get a large number of patients faster if you uh, cooperate with Europe, Asia, Africa, and it also. Makes it so that the results are generalizable to those populations where there really are more people with sickle cell disease. So this study is called a multinational trial of prasugrel for sickle cell vasoocclusive events. And prasugrel is maybe not as famous of a platelet drug, um, but it's a, a pill medication that you can take and inhibit your platelets from being sticky in a special kind of way. Um, It works a little differently than Plavix or aspirin or some of these other platelet drugs. And so their question was, you know, could children age two through 17 with sickle cell anemia have fewer pain episodes? If they were taking these, they did a randomized multi-center placebo controlled blinded study. So what does that mean? So we had all of these sites throughout the country, they were enrolling patients who fit the study, who were in the right age group, had the right kind of sickle cell, had some pain episodes They then basically flipped a coin and decided whether the patient was getting uh, the prasugrel drug or a placebo that they didn't know. The investigator taking care of them didn't know. So that takes some of the bias out. Sometimes you take a medicine and you think, Oh, I feel better because you're taking the medicine. Like a placebo effect we call it. Yeah. So you take a placebo, you still get the placebo effect and you can compare that to the drug and see which worked better. And so the, the, primary endpoint, the thing that they were looking at was how many pain crises did the people have on the placebo versus on the drug. And so they followed these uh, to be 341 patients over nine to 24 months. So some people start on the study early, some people start later, but they followed them each nine months. And they measured how many of these vasoclusive crises they had. And in the Prasubel group, they had 2.3 and in the placebo group, they had 2.77. So, not a home run. Um, yeah. It sounds like maybe it helped a little bit, but when you do statistics, you have to say did this happen by luck or is this a, a real difference? And when they did the statistics, they said this could have been by luck. Yeah. This not a huge not, not a real. huge difference. It could just be because you know. Yeah. The, the way The way things bounce, they had uh, the patients fill out electronic diaries, and they also monitored for safety and One thing you worry about when you inhibit platelets is are what people, people going to believe yeah, yeah. and uh, they
1: spy <laughs>
2: <laughs> but they didn 't see that they didn 't see any any big uh, safety issues with this drug, but they did see that it it didn 't seem to work that well. They published this in the New England Journal of Medicine. And decided that, you know, at least in this population, this didn't look good enough to be a standard treatment for sickle cell disease.
1: I love that you presented this today because this shows. I mean, how much work do you think probably went into this trial? Oh, it probably a tremendous took, amount of work. I mean, it probably took a decade to get to this point. Absolutely. And, and,
2: and uh, to give you an idea, these kind of trials. 340 patients 51 sites and you know multiple countries each one of those sites has a whole Paperwork thing that needs to be uh, committees review. Make sure it's safe. Takes a lot of staff to put all that together. To recruit patients, the pharmacy has to be involved to dispense the drug. There has to be drug accountability. They're using a patient-reported diary. Somebody has to build that diary and test it out and make sure that it works. Then there's people putting in
1: data. There's people monitoring the data for safety. There's there's all committee that meets
2: regularly to make sure that the trial is safe and and then there's statisticians who have to go
1: through yeah. the data and so I, these things cost tens of millions of dollars and take years and years and at the end of that we get to a point where somebody's saying mm, not good enough this drug is not good enough that's a good thing i that's mean that's one thing. of the
2: things you want to do it's transparency is, uh, it's science that wouldn't be good if you just said uh it looks like hydroxychloroquine works for COVID. Everybody should take it. You need to do the trial. Yes. Sometimes it doesn't work. Yes. And it's just as important to know it doesn't work as, as to know that it doesn't
1: Absolutely. Does work. So this is one of the things uh, we talk about. Like when we talk to our warriors who are sometimes talking with naturopaths and dietitians. yes, they can tell you, hey, CMOS might work for your pain. But, but until
2: you do a study like this, yes. you, don't, you don't really know.
1: You can't, if it works. Yes. And this just shows you um, that there's physicians who are working on this stuff that are telling you, hey, we tried this. It doesn't work. Here's why it doesn't work. Like, here's the data. Yeah. Um, I love that. Thank you for sharing the study with us, Dr. C.
2: My pleasure, Dr. Z.
1: All right, guys. We hope you enjoyed that segment. All right, Warriors. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Cheat Codes. Dr. C, I really enjoyed this one.
2: That was a great episode. We had an advocate on, uh, Cass Trimnell. We yeah. talked about advocacy. Yeah. We talked about uh, the Dove trial. Yeah, a little
1: different. A little yeah. different. We talked about a non-medical word. We presented a study that didn't change necessarily something that we're doing, but stopped us from doing something that might not work. For sure. Pretty cool. All right, guys, we hope you enjoyed that. So
2: if thanks so much for joining us on Cheap Codes.
1: Yeah, if you, um, if you think that uh, you learned something from this episode, be sure to share it with someone who you think could learn as well. Keep living well with sickle cell and we'll see you the next time around. Thanks, Dr. Z. Take care.